Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Isaac Watts wrote, At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. What happened at the cross? If you're watching, if you joined us online on our YouTube channel, please type in what happened at the cross. Past tense, what happened? And if you're here, I know you have your masks on, everybody has their masks on, but speak out loud. What happened at the cross? Jesus crucified, yes. He died for our sins. We got redeemed. Justice and mercy met. Eternal life was possible. What happened at the cross? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. I'm positive that for most Christians, including us, the cross of Calvary is central to our understanding and receiving salvation. For me, the cross was the place and the means where my Savior, Jesus Christ, sacrificed his life for me as the Lamb of God, the sacrificial Lamb of God. About 10 years ago, I really understood the grace of God that flows from the cross. I understood that at the cross, I was washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus washed my sins at the cross. And that's a victory. That's one victory. Recently, I've come to discover that at the cross, Jesus actually won a double victory, two victories. It is the most exciting thing to discover as a Christian living in this sinful world that Jesus on Calvary, one cross, two victories. That's the title of my sermon this morning. Let's bow our heads once again. Lord, I come to you this morning to open your word and to share hope, to share the hope that shines from the Mount of Calvary, the hope that you have given us in Jesus. And I hope that today our people will be inspired to know that you have won a double victory at the cross. We pray and we thank you. 
for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Not sure if you have it, but if you do, pull out a dollar or a $5 bill or a $20 bill, whatever you have in your pocket. And look at it. No, we're not going to ask you for a donation. This is just an illustration. So what you have in your hand, and you look at the dollar, or $5 bill, or a $20 bill, or a $100 bill. I don't know. Maybe you have a $100 bill. What you have on your hand is the face of the dollar. And then you switch it over, you have the back of the dollar, right? But no matter how you look at it, there is value to it. There is value to it. Same value, right? And the value is what is on what is backing the dollar. When you look at the cross, there is value on that. And the value lies on what is backing the cross. The value is on what happened at the cross and on the cross. What happened on the cross is the fulfillment of the first promise God made to humanity. It's recorded in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And you can open your Bibles with me to Genesis 3.15. I will be using New King James Version of the Bible throughout my sermon. What we find in Genesis 3 is that in the midst of finding guilt due to the fall, humanity is blessed with the first promise. And the promise comes from God when he addressed the serpent in that pronouncement. Genesis 3, verse 15. And God said, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, let me ask you this. If you ever fought and killed a snake, maybe you didn't. But just imagine that you're fighting a snake. I hate snakes. I'm afraid of them. What is more advantageous? What is more dangerous to happen? Is for you to strike the head of the snake or for the snake to bite your Obviously, striking the head is more strategic, right? And in this verse, the he, the third pronoun, the third singular pronoun, he, masculine pronoun, is referring to the man Jesus. And the serpent is the devil. 
So let's read it again with that in mind. And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, the devil, and the woman. Humanity, everyone who is born of a woman. And between your seed and her seed. Which means there will always be an enmity, a fight between the demonic beings and humanity. He, Jesus, shall bruise your head. Jesus shall strike your head. Then you shall bruise his heel. You devil shall harass them with your temptations and cause them to sin so that they may die. That's the first promise of the Bible. And my friends, at the cross, Jesus strikes the devil's head. He blows him away by doing what was unthinkable for the devil. What was unthinkable was that Jesus, the Son of God, who was one with God from the beginning, Jesus would become flesh, Jesus would become human, and after living a sinless life on earth, offer himself to, to die the death you and I deserve as sinners. He offered himself to die in my place, in your place. For the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23. Open, open your Bibles to Romans 6.23. We'll, we'll stay there for a bit. So open your Bibles to Romans 6.23, New King James Version, and keep it there for a while. No matter, listen, no matter how good you are from now on, even if you would never sin again in your life, because you have already sinned, the only way to pay for that sin is death. And Apostle Paul is confirming that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 There is no one, he says, there is no one on planet earth who did not sin. So the only direction for all of us would be to be eternally lost, to perish, to eternally die. For the wages of sin is death. But, he says, I love this contrasting preposition here. But the gift. Wages of sin is death. But there is this contrast. There is a contrast in this statement that makes a huge difference. A big difference. In your life and my life. And that difference is the difference made on the cross. The difference that Jesus made on the cross, the victories, the two victories, not one but two, that Jesus won at the cross of Calvary. Paul says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? The gift of God is eternal life 
My friend, the hope we have in eternal life is real. It is promised. Just like the promise of the strike of the devil said happened on the cross, so the promise of eternal life, the death of Jesus on the cross, is a historical fact. So is the promise of eternal life. It happened, the, the, the death of Jesus happened in real time, in real life, so the promise of eternal life, it will happen in real time, in real life. It's true. For the wages of sin is death, Paul says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Notice how eternal life is promised. Not apart from Jesus. I want you to see this. I mentioned earlier in this series, Free and Fruitful, that we used to, at least I used to think that Jesus is my Savior. But He was a separate entity. He was there ready to help me when I need Him. For the rest of the time, I'm fine, right? My friend, that cannot be farther from the truth. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And we learn that the connector, the one who helps you and me to connect, to abide in Jesus, is the Holy Spirit. Jesus abides in us and we abide in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. When that happens... It is Jesus in us, living in us and through us. He is not apart from us. Well, He can be if we don't ask to be filled with His Holy Spirit. But when we are filled with His Spirit, He abides in us and we in Him. Notice what Paul says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. My friend, you and I will not have eternal life apart from Jesus. We will only have eternal life when we abide in Christ Jesus. So, Jesus is dying on the cross... To pay for my sins and your sins. He died on the cross the death we deserve because of our sins. Our sins were placed on Jesus. He paid the price for our disobedience. In fact, Isaiah 53, 5. I love that chapter. Certainly to read it during Eastern season or before communion. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. He paid the price for our disobedience. And that price was death. That is why at one point on the cross, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why 
Hast thou forsaken me? At that moment, he was dying the death of the God-forsaken sinner. And my friend, Jesus took our sins and the death penalty. And he gives to us, to you and me, his righteousness. And he gives to us eternal life. And this transaction takes place only through our faith in Him. Only as we believe that He did it for us. Because indeed, He did it. Jesus did it all. And when you accept what He did for you and me on the cross, we accept His righteousness, which is free to us, and we become Justified. I heard someone play with these words in English and justify it was like just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. That's what it justified means having Jesus dying for your sin and accepting that true fact, you are justified. That's one victory. Jesus won for you and me at Calvary. And yet, there is more to it. There is more to it. Just as the dollar bill has a front and a back, the effect of the cross in your life has a significance for your past and a significance for your future. And I'm not talking about a distant future. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about this week, this coming week. Jesus died for your sins you have committed. He washed them away. That's one side of the story. That's about your past. One victory for your past. But this is the other side of the dollar bill. My friend, pay attention to this. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he also broke the power of your sin over you. That's the second victory at the cross and on the cross. Jesus, your Savior, my Savior, broke the power of our sinful nature. And this is very hopeful to understand, especially for our Sabbath keepers, for my Seventh-day Adventist friends. Peter understood this when he wrote, Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, on the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. 1 Peter 2.24 So Peter understood that Jesus took our sins and he nailed them on the cross. Also, Paul in Romans 6 Verse 6, he's saying, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Why? Because he already crucified them on the cross. There's, they have no more power over us. My friend... Paul says, after realizing that, he says, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. My friends, on the cross, 
Yes, Jesus paid for, for, for your sin. The, your old self was crucified on the cross. And on the cross, yes, on the cross, and I can say hallelujah, yes, on the cross, the power of sin was broken. And he offers you his victory over your sins. That's what it means to be sanctified by Jesus and through Jesus. Because now he gives you power in your life to live a sanctified life. That's victory number two at the cross. We learned in my previous sermons, two sermons, that the power of our sinful nature is so strong that it is impossible for us to become free from its control by our own efforts. I know it happened to me just as it happens to pretty much every Christian. What we do, we, we got the first concept of Jesus' victory on the cross. We accepted His death for our sins and we accepted His blood, blood to wash away our sins. And we got baptized in water baptism, the baptism of repentance. And we're so excited and we went away saying, Jesus, I am going to live a perfect life for you. I'm not going to let you down. I'm going to put all my efforts to overcome the sins and temptations in my life. And when I need you, I'm going to ask God to add to my efforts. See? Did you experience? Did you have that experience? Well... Maybe I'm the only one, but I can share. Maybe you can relate. Because of our sinful nature's power, these efforts ultimately failed. And as a result, we became discouraged, frustrated, bewildered, and even questioned ourselves if we are really Christians. Now, the good news, my friend, is to understand and believe that Jesus won Two victories on the cross. One victory was dying for the penalty of your sin and giving you his righteousness. And that's justification. The other victory is that on the cross, he broke the power of your sins. And now that, that you abide in him and he in you, it is not you who lives, but Jesus lives his righteous life through you. And that's sanctification. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for your sins and he broke the powerful, uh, sinful nature in every broken area of your life. So Jesus dying on the cross is a historical fact. And it can become a reality in your life today if you believe it. That means he won the victory over your sins. Paul says that our old man is crucified with him. That means that the unloving you, the unforgiving you, the angry you, the lustful you, the anxious you, and the list can go on and on. The old you died on the cross with Jesus. It means 
That you do not have to be controlled by your unloving attitudes. You do not have to be controlled by your unforgiveness. You do not have to be controlled by your anger, your lust, your anxiety, and your sinful desires. No, my friend, you don't have to. The power of these sinful desires, attitudes, and behaviors is broken at the cross. That's the best news you can receive today. I'm telling you, it's not being told in many churches. When I discovered this, I really got excited. And that can be the reality of your life today if you believe it. If you accept that all of these things you were, that, that, that were in your life were crucified with Jesus on the cross. And if you believe and accept Him living in you and through you from now on, you are a winner with Jesus today. Jesus' second victory on the cross can be yours today. Now, hear me out. Don't make the mistake I made, and many Christians did too. It is very true that the power of our sinful nature was broken at the cross. Now, this does not mean that from now on I can put forth my own efforts to obey God. See, just as it is with sin, it's the same thing with obedience to God. The truth that the power of our sinful nature was broken at the cross is very important for us to, believe, to, to, to know and to believe. But we need to remember that we have no ability in and of ourselves to obey God, even though the overwhelming influence of our sinful nature was broken at the cross. Simply knowing that truth is not enough. There is only one way we will have the victory we long for. The victory over temptation and sin will take place in our lives only as we believe the truth of the crucifixion of our sinful nature and allow Jesus to give us the victory. And it's not our victory, it's His victory. So today's service is a special service because today is the first time in over a year that we will have the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper in what we call a communion service. See, when Jesus instituted a communion service, He gave us an example to follow. In John 13, 15, He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. So what did Jesus do? Well, first, he humbled himself and washed his disciples' feet as a symbol of washing away their sins, as a symbol of forgiving them. Then they ate the bread, which was unleavened bread, without yeast, since yeast was the symbol of sin, and they drank unfermented juice. Again, fermentation symbolizes sin. The unleavened bread and the pure juice represents 
the body and the blood of Jesus, who was without any sin. We normally have a foot washing service when people get this same opportunity to humble themselves and wash each other's feet, men with men, women with women, couples, families can do that together. A time of humility and asking for forgiveness of everything that we have done wrong and we clear things out with each other and with God. Well, due to COVID restrictions, we will not have the foot washing service today. Instead, we will take a few minutes of reflection. We will reflect and humble our lives in front of the Heavenly Father. Ask forgiveness for all the wrongs we have committed, all the wrongs that we can remember. And if you don't remember, simply say, Lord, I don't remember everything. Please forgive me for the things I don't remember or I'm not even aware I did wrong. And at the end of this reflection time, we will sing a couple of verses from the hymn, Whiter Than Snow, and then we'll partake of the symbols, of the emblems, of the bread and the juice that was given to you as you came in today. Or if you are home, you may have already uh, picked it up from the church, or you have your own. So at this time... I would like to have soft music played as we have a few moments, a few minutes of reflection.
can turn to hymn 318. I'd like to sing the first and the third verse of that song. Whiter than snow. You brought everything to the Lord. You surrendered them at the foot of the cross. And now we, we expect that blood of the cross to wash them away. So that we can become white. And the metaphor that you just saw a couple of days ago with the snow. When the snow comes, it makes everything white. Everything looks beautiful. So that's the metaphor of this song, whiter than snow. this time I will invite a couple of our elders. Uh, Joey Carr will pray for the bread and Barbara Hagley will pray for the juice and they're both packaged in uh, this little set that was pre-packaged uh, for your safety and uh, after they will pray, we will partake of them. On the top, we have the bread, and you have to peel just the very top to reach out for the bread. And then you have the other second layer of peel, and you open the cup for the juice. So let's bow our heads 
Lord, you came down and lived as a human being on this earth. You did so to demonstrate your love for us, your willingness to sacrifice. And you not only lived, Lord, but you died a terrible death. You shed your blood. You were shut out from the Father and received the penalty that we should re have received. You did this all so that we could be saved. You love us so much, Lord, and your blood is everlasting. I pray, Lord, that that blood will wash away our sins. We come to you for that to take place. And we look so forward to the day when we can celebrate this service that you initiated when you were here on the earth with you in heaven and rejoice with you forevermore. Amen. We pray that you will bless these emblems. In your name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you for your prayers. So today I will be staying with Paul, since I use Apostle Paul in my sermon. And um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, the story of the Lord's Supper is reiterated by Apostle Paul. So, um, before I go into reading the text and invite you to partake of the bread and the juice, um, again, I want to offer a little instruction. I'm not proficient in this either. Um, these are diff different times. You peel the first, peel first layer, and it opens up to the bread. And when you peel the second one, it will open the cup for the juice. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, like we prayed for, prayed for the bread, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take, eat.
you peel the second peel that opens the cup for the juice. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So now we're going to sing a song that reminds us that Jesus is coming again soon and very soon. <laughs> 